Yeah. I mean, July, it's already the 14th. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people took off before the holiday, uh, which was my first reminder that there was a holiday. And a lot of people took time off after because the holiday hit on a Monday. And so, yeah, like that. Imagine if you were actually taking a vacation in July and you were also thinking about starting the process of shopping for a new home. You haven't had time yet or you haven't done any work. <laughs> maybe, maybe you don't have to work, but it's yeah. the month is flying by. And that's, that, that's not unusual either because it's July. So cyclicality is back, I guess could be the uh, title for this episode. Yeah. I remember once my uh, boss was like, it's slow this month. And then I did a three year, year over year chart. And I was like, it's slow this month every year. So we're, we're okay. But yeah, people don't have access to that data. It might be tough to look back that far. Yep. 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 Samantha, what's the latest house update? We met with a design designer for our landscaping yesterday and decided to go that route because our HOA is a little bit strict. We have to get everything submitted through them for our yard. So we're going to get the design work at least going and then go from there and pick a landscaper. Okay. But but all appliances are installed and functioning. Everything except our solar isn't up and running yet. We had an issue with our contract got canceled for no reason. And so they're looking into that. And so it's been off. It hasn't even been activated. And we've been moved in since February. So that's fun. Interesting. Yeah. I was talking to a builder in California and solar is required there. This is just extra behind the scenes for, for those of you watching the Facebook group. And it, apparently it's a $10,000 cost to own the system or you can rent it. I mean, I'm in Ohio, so this isn't the world I live in. But talking about ways to make your product more affordable, it's like, well, this is actually a really easy opportunity. Just put in the rental system. The homeowner is going to have to pay that. You can advertise a $10,000 lowering starting price point. Any of your backlog calls and complaints, you can say they're not getting solar included. And then you could still, as a promotion, include you know, half of the cost of the system or the include the system as a, as a negotiated closing opportunity, get you right back to where you are, but you can hopefully get a little bit more traffic, uh, with a $10,000 decrease. So people yeah, keep asking why I didn't do solar here. I, I guess I will over time. That's well, that's, that's one of those things that I think you think in hindsight and you're like, ah, would have been so I'm much waiting easier for them to know done. exactly what they're doing. It's kind of like, for a while, people tried to do stucco homes here in Columbus. That was like the, oh. the rage because it was less expensive and it looked okay. And then they found out that the contractors here don't know how to install stucco in a place where it gets rain a lot mm -hmm. and cold a lot. So there was a ton of losses. Wasn't Tesla launching like a roof panel system? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I haven't seen that. It's there. And anyone. Yeah. That's an option for you, Kevin. Well, that's, but if you, if you watch reviews or listen to it, they, they've, they outsource all of the work to contractors who are unreliable, like mm. it's hit and miss. And so I just feel like I want to wait until people know how to do solar right here. Yeah. Rational. That's, that's like the builder is waiting for like, who's doing incentives, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to wait to push before I roll out a bunch and, and see what's working, what's not. So. Yeah. Yep. All right. We were ready to go. Audio sounds good enough. So here, here we go. 
Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 227 with myself, Kevin Oakley, Jackie Lipinski, and Samantha Kellenberger. I think that's the first time I've said your last, you got married a couple months ago now. Yes, April. Did we update your business cards, your name tag? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, your email address, do we need to, I don't know, someone needs to call HR, IT. (laughs) All right, let's go right into story time. Jackie, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I I told the team because I was excited and also horrified, but I joined my local Toastmasters group. And if no one knows what that is, that's where you practice your public speaking as if I don't speak all day, every day, all the time with builders, but it's for fun speaking in front of people and practicing your public speaking skills. Which by the way, is the least fun activity. If you pulled America, you know, one of the biggest fears is public speaking. So I, yeah, but I have this thing where I like, try to conquer my fears. So this is kind of like right up my, I was afraid of heights. So I went skydiving. Like Uh I, I like go out of my way to be like, there's no reason to be afraid, go for it. And so Toastmasters so far has been fun. But one of the things that came out was, you know, talking about connection over perfection when you present information and you have to build that connection because no one enjoys your content if you haven't built the connection first. And so some builders, I feel like, don't want to do anything unless it's it's perfect or, or might have that fear of that page doesn't look perfect, that home listing doesn't look perfect. But you also have to just build that connection first over trying to have everything be perfect. And what do I mean by that? It's the listing will always be a work in progress. And so you, you have to have them fall in love with the location or the community or the house before they, you know, might and the price before they can fall in love with everything else. So connection, I think over perfection with how you build content around houses and communities is, is just one of the things that we, we talked about in speaking class and we talked about for builders. So I thought that was a fun little thing to bring up. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's a, it's a work in progress for the listing because the house is probably a work in process. Mm-hmm. There's still not a lot of finished, finished inventory. And so just, and a, a lot of marketers myself, I think actually all of us included have OCD tendencies of, you know, wanting everything to be equally good or consistent, balanced. We've talked a lot about, you know, it's okay to have your favorite community, your favorite floor plan because mm-hmm. they're not, you know, you're not, can't have your favorite kid, but that's okay. And that, that really slows us down from getting that connection started a lot of times. So mm-hmm. yeah, I like Perfect. that. Samantha, you got anything? Um, I got, I guess, a little bit of a story. So we moved into our house in February and we were the second homeowners to close. And so now our community's coming along. We've got um, a lot more neighbors. And it's just kind of funny being on the other end of the home building process because where I'm waiting on the park, I'm waiting. I know these things take time. I know that they need a certain amount of homes to close, but I'm becoming that impatient homeowner that wants the park finished that yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's just kind of funny. And then we also have 
new neighbors and it's nice to have the community come alive but at the same time I feel like I'm turning into like an old person I'm like there's kids running around in the street now and mm. making all kinds of noise and the neighbor's parking his car in front of his house because he has six cars and only a two-car garage do you have the get off my lawn sign yet or should we get you that is that not yet. Next? Okay. <laughs> no, I know. We were this morning. Um, we saw like two dogs like pee on all of our bushes walking by the fence line. We're like, we need to get one of those little signs. But it's just funny because uh, just being on the other side of it and going through these struggles in person. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we talked about this before or not, but on the podcast, I know we've talked about it as a team at Deconvert. A lot of our people moved into master plans and they were like, oh, this is why people like them because they have all these amenities and resources and infrastructure and, and hopefully really nice people. So when you say like the, the people aren't always the ideal version of what you wish they would be, we, you know, the Oakleys are part of that problem. So we, we moved as I think everyone knows onto seven acres. And so, you know, our closest neighbor is still far away, but we put a pool in and my almost 10 year old son, Hayden, he just loves it. He only screams when he's having fun and he likes to have fun. So he can't just play tag. He has to play tag while the entire time you're chasing him, you scream really loudly. And so my wife went over to deliver cookies to the neighbors and she's like, sorry, if we've disturbed your peace, you know, kind of joking. Cause there's tree line. Like you can't even see the house. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, it's been great overall, but you have one kid that we hear a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and said, is it like a, a 13 year old girl? Maybe we're like, no, that's our son, Hayden. Uh, hopefully he'll grow out of it. And it'll be just a phase, but yeah. Even when you try to get away from them, the Oakleys are, are there. That's fine. My story time. And we talked a little bit about this on the webinar that we did for those who are attending the summit. So you might've heard this, but the co consumer sentiment index, which is a study that the Michigan university of Michigan uh, puts out. And for those of you watching the stream here, I'll, I'll share a picture of it. The consumer sentiment is about how consumers feel like the future is going to be. And right now it's as negative as it's ever been in the 60, uh, well, no, 80 years of the survey outside of a recessionary period. So if, if you're looking at the chart, the gray areas are recessions and we are lower than we've ever been outside of a gray period. And that's the bad news. And that's why incentives and, and promotions that we advertise don't create the outsized results that we wish they did. It's because when consumer sentiment is that poor, they can't think that far ahead. I was on a call with a, a builder of ours and we were kind of joking, like, how much of a planner are you? And I think she said something like, I know what my kid's going to eat for lunch next Thursday. I was like, okay. And what have you planned for 2023? Like anything fun, interesting, different. What what's the plan for 2023? And she just looked at us like, "What are you talking about?" No, I haven't thought about 2023, and no one really has thought about 2023 that I've asked this question about. So the the point is, when the sentiment is this low, the number of people who are actively looking to to change their life by purchasing a new home is going to be smaller. And so that reticular activator system that we we always talk a lot about, we're in a typical market around one and a half, two percent 2% of the population is thinking about moving. Right now, people are thinking about vacations that they put off and, and events in their life that they put off and they're making those things a priority, but they're also really negative about the future. And so this is not the best time to kitchen sink it, to throw everything you have at the customer. That's the, that's the bad news 
The good news when you look at this, and I'll circle these uh, all these low points over the decades, um, those low points never flatline and stay there. Meaning as a, as a group, we don't stay depressed about the future for very long, about three to six months at the most. And then the correction, the, the lines up are almost equally as sharp as the lines down on this chart. And so what that means is we, we have to do everything we can, one, to make sure that every lead and prospect that we interact with gets the best possible experience, rolls out the red carpet, and yes, negotiate with back pocket money or, in, or incentives, but advertising it to try to draw in new people who are going to want to make a quick purchasing decision to hit your number this month. Not, not the best tactic. However, making sure that your home site, home sites are looking clean and good and your inventory looks like someone's actually project managing it and the, and the trades aren't just showing up and leaving mm-hmm. crap wherever they want to. Um, product presentation is, a, is, is as lost of an art these days as competitive analysis, it turns out. And so we should be focusing on that stuff. Again, I was talking to another builder and, I, and we kind of were, we came to this conclusion that instead of, and this was actually a sales manager I was talking to, Instead of the salespeople on site chirping about a lack of lock-in traffic, maybe we should make sure they're chirping about how poor the homes under construction look and how unclean the site is, um, because that's something that's under everyone's control, much more than making sure people physically show up at a house that, that we just can't make that happen. So the good news is when that sharp turn comes up, uh, I, I guess the summary would be, I think it's going to be another 45, 60 days of severe pain. If, if you hated the month of June, just buckle up because you're probably going to hate July. Um, although we do have some really good stories of builders who have tipped the scales and maybe we'll have time at the end to go back and cover some of that. Jesse talked about that uh, on the last podcast that she was on as well. But after that 60 day period, once sentiment starts to reverse, that's when you want to get more aggressive. Right now, it's all about serving the market you have, not trying to create a new market. And the other quick thing, which I know we keep talking about, but I, it's really important. Your conversion rates should be improving on lead to appointment and appointment to sale right now. You will have fewer leads, you will have fewer appointments, but the quality of those people are better than they've ever been because they're moving forward in this market. So just stay focused, stay nimble, and try like heck to help everyone understand to be patient. So to that end, we have this aggregate data report. The average home builder website right now has a 1.4% increase in traffic from the same 30-day period a year ago. And the average home builder has 20% fewer conversions on that traffic than a year ago. So uh, like one of our builders, they have an increase in website activity of 54%. And everyone's still screaming for more more traffic. And it's like that, that's just traffic's not the, the weak point here whatsoever. All right. Now a quick word from our supporting partner, Open Door. Open Door partners with home builders across the country in over 2000 sales offices and has helped generate more than $4 billion in new construction home sales. And they don't charge anything from builders to do that. As a builder sales associate, you can provide flexible close dates to help customers avoid double moves and mortgages, which is a f- really huge deal. Mm-hmm. really big deal right now because no one wants to be stuck in a position of not having uh, somewhere to live with their home not being complete. Uh, flexible move-in dates 
anytime from 14 days to nine months and a complimentary two-day late checkout from their current home to help alleviate the stress of moving. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Open Door. I remember when I moved, I had a two-week window of being able to move from my apartment to my house. And even just that I was able to move everything in a few days and that re- like that flexibility just really made the whole move easier. Probably Sam, you know, yeah, I had like two months to move from our apartment yeah. to our house. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to someone, I forget where, um, I think at a party, and then they lost on a bid on an existing home. I think Sean Carpenter was telling me this story. I went to breakfast with him the other other week, and he lost out on it because the, the buyer said, you can live in this home as long as you want to. Like there is no move out date for free. <laughs> now, obviously, he's like, they're, they're, they're probably talking and, and, and it, there's some understanding, but contractually nothing has to happen. I was like, wow, that's sounds like a good loophole. That's flexibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. On to the news. First up market proof awards. Wait, I've got a sound oh, yeah, effect for here. this one. Where is it at? Oh no. Not on the game today with the sound effects. Sorry, everyone watching live. We'll, no, we'll cut that's this. why they're here. They're here for the train wreck. <laughs> the, if you're live, there it is. The Market Proof Awards, they're back. The deadline is approaching quickly. By the time you're listening to this, it might have already ended. So make sure you get your entries in, uh, or sorry, your, your tickets. So you have, to, you have to purchase a ticket in order to get an entry. You don't have to pre-select the category. You're just basically purchasing the ability to create an entry in a category of your future choosing. Those entries, the actual entries aren't due until July 29th. Is that correct? Yeah. Jackie Lipinski. So you got time, but you got to get a ticket reserved in order to, to have that submission spot open. So marketproofawards.com, link in the show notes, go check that out. Yeah, we found that last year, you know, Andrew and I ran the back end and, and still do. People just needed that little extra grace period. And so I think this is a really good alternative to you can purchase it. Submit what you can, get your next two weeks. But I think let us know in the comments how long it took you. But I think it only takes about like 10 to 15 minutes to actually enter a submission. So yeah, and everyone's worried about the data part of it. Remember mm-hmm. this year we we talk about it, it's a results-driven uh process. So so you do need to have results, but you might not have every data point and metric to the degree that you wished you did. And that's understandable, partly because of some of the categories where you don't, you, you know, someone watched a video, you don't know what they're thinking about when they watched it as an example. So yeah, check it out. We're excited. The, the judges this year are all winners uh, in mm-hmm. past years. They're all employees of home building organizations who do what you do. Uh, so if you've got, again, those submissions from the nationals last year, you can, you can use as a starting point or uh, the golden nugget awards at PCBC those are great places to start. And yeah, t- 10 minutes or less, I would imagine. And if you have any questions around the awards, I would say email Andrew. Sorry, Andrew, if you're watching this, Andrew at dukevert.com. And if you run into any little blips in the website, but other than that. People have questions about which category is the best for me. Yeah. Or, you know, if we get an entry and there's not enough information, we'll ping you back and, you know, we're going to work with you. So it's not, it's not like you're cut off cut off because you misspelled something and now the judges are going to dock you points for it. Yeah. All right. First up from the news, uh, from the buildersdaily.com builders jockey to corner share gains in fast tightening markets. 
week-to-week and day-to-day changes in data on sales pace, community absorptions, concessions and incentives, and cancellations add headline risk, uh, et cetera, et cetera. John McManus wrote this. Uh, John is the publisher of the Builders Daily, and he's been around a long time. And um, fantastic article all the way through, but the point I really want to razor in on is, one, a point of good news. A quote from a Boise builder in there, he says, sales have slowed tremendously. Builders are dropping prices and halting new starts. Not, that's not the great news. But they are seeing prices drop on labor due to slowing of home starts. They're expecting 15 to 20% reduction in most of their cost codes. So that's what we need to have. You know, if we have all this pain and we don't reset ourselves for the next uh, market to come, that would be the worst scenario possible. Uh, so the fact that we are seeing um, those costs come down is the first thing. And then the second one is, it says, get ready for a first wave rule of 10 to 15% of average sales price reductions to to get back to the reignition point in the flame of big demand among buyers. So the, the overall thesis of this article, and then we'll, we'll just talk about it, is that most of the large builders, uh, according to John, and I, and I I generally, again, agree with this sentiment, most of them have, have much better balance sheets than they did in 07. They've been aggressive, but they haven't been so aggressive that they're over their skis, as one of my old bosses used to use that phrase a lot. And many of them have more lots under control via the use of options than outright purchasing them in large quantities. Now, I was on a, a call with Ivy Zellman uh, earlier today, and she said something really interesting, which was that as they've dug into some of these lot option agreements, they're, they're, and again, for, for those of you who may not be familiar, lot option agreements are where you say, I'm going to give you this, this big chunk of money. And I will agree to take down home sites from you at regular scheduled intervals at predetermined prices. So very common would be like, you're going to, you're going to purchase a minimum of five home sites from the developer a quarter at a hundred thousand dollars each. And so you're not, you're not putting all of your $20 million in that piece of ground. You're, you're over time purchasing those lots from the developer. It helps with your cash flow and lets you have a position without putting down again, the full amount of money. Well, what Ivy's team has found is that a lot of builders have been saying they're doing lot option agreements, but within those lot option agreements are clauses about specific performance. And what that means is it's, it's going to come back to the, to the Elon Twitter saga is this is what you must do under any circuit. Like you, you have to do this, which means they're not really lot options in the technical sense. And so those, those builders could be in trouble. Anyway, back to the point of builders generally still feeling like they want to be aggressive at gaining market share now. So in a down market, if you can gain market share, let's say your market share was 10%, uh, and now you've been able to to beat the competition and you have 25% market share of all the permits pulled in your market. Once the market starts to increase in size again, lots of people want, want homes again, that's when you really make money because market share doesn't tend to shift as dramatically in times of increased market conditions than when the market gets tough. So again, sorry, it's taken a while to get there, but there's a lot of good points that that lead to this, which is those builders who in a normal market like this might be um, contracting and going into turtle or hibernation mode. His thought is that many of them will get aggressive to gain market share, and they'll do that by reducing their average sales prices. 
by at a first wave of 10 to 15%. And generally we haven't seen that yet. And, And I think we will. And I also think it's important if you work for a smaller builder who's like, we're not going to adjust our base prices. Don't be surprised when, when the larger builders around you do, because they have to keep the machine moving. Number one Mm -hmm. and two, they're going to, they feel like they can gain market share. Makes sense. Any, any thoughts? Yeah. I, I, there was another builder working with who a larger builder just did that and just swept away all their leads and sales. We, we saw in the last two weeks. So it's happening slowly, but surely. So I think just competitive analysis needs to be happening more for Mm -hmm. local builders. So, yeah. And again, you don't have to just lower the prices on your existing floor plans. You can rename a floor plan, make it look mm-hmm. just a little bit different on the outside. So, um, cause I, I also heard on the call, Ivy was like, it's one of the worst things you can do is reduce your price because then your backlog gets all upset. I'm like, well, if you just take the same Stanford floor plan with the same included features and reduce the price, yes. But if you roll out the, you know, the Sally floor plan, and it's basically the Stanford minus 50 square feet with lower included feature set, and it's 20 grand less, then you can you can have a much greater level of success. At least that's what every builder I've worked with has mm-hmm. done. Next up from redfin.com, the deal is off. Home sales are getting canceled at the highest rate since the start of the pandemic. Uh, home cancellations have hit, according to Redfin, uh, 14.9% on average, uh, our number of, of deals falling through and in home building specifically, we've seen, I've heard of cancellation rates, um, in the Phoenix market as high as 40%. So yeah, the sale and, you made keeping it is prior to number one. Yeah. And this, this article was also referenced in the builders, the article we were just referencing too. And these all just came out Monday, but just, just comparing it. And I think I think it's just something to be aware of. I think it's something to make sure everyone's checking it against their numbers too of where they're building um, is super important. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing is that roughly 24% was the number that I heard today on the call that I was on across the country of, of purchasers were investors of one form or another, not like big giant companies necessarily, just even people who um, kept their current home and are buying a second. And, uh, when Ivy's team asked uh, that builder with the large cancellation rate, well, what were the reasons that you were given for cancellations? The majority of them were people who were like, it just, it doesn't pencil out anymore as an investment opportunity for me because they saw where interest rates were going and and believing that it wasn't the best choice. So, Well, they, just, and that's what they mentioned. It's like due to economic uncertainty. But in the last article too, they also bring up that people who still had buying power were pulling out to have more buying power because they feel like mm-hmm. they could take advantage of the market to negotiate again. So I don't know if anyone else is seeing that, but um, I haven't heard any feedback from any of the builders. Well, good luck for that. I mean, this is this is not in the show notes and it's not a news article, but I've been thinking a lot about this. If if interest rates are likely to go higher, my my hunch right now is that we'll be around eight maybe eight and a half, nine by the end of the year, if current trends continue. So part of me thinks selectively the message out to your consumers of like homes are about to become even less affordable, you know, beat the rate increase to come. Probably not the right thing. I'm just letting everyone know what's rattled around my head a little bit here and there. 
All right. Next up from the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> Sorry, I just found this one because uh, three things marketers should know about ad spending trends. And the reason I wanted to, to look at this is because there's been a lot of talk that I've heard about how, you know, typically in a recession, advertising gets cut uh, is one of the first things that gets cut as recessionaries, recession periods happen. And I'm not sure that that's going to be true of digital in the same way that it would be typically true of broadcast. The pandemic taught everyone that digital advertising works. And a lot of people canceled already their broadcast initiatives during the pandemic or brand building. We talked about Coca-Cola back in the day and Airbnb um, pausing all of their brand advertising and, and television stuff. So I, I just feel like this time around, Google and Meta platforms will be the last thing affected. I think everything else will get cut before something that can be in any way correlated to a sale more directly gets cut. Does that make sense to you, Samantha? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, billboards. Sad. Yeah. Blimp. <laughs> now, again, I hate billboards, but if billboards suddenly, you know, if you can get a great billboard for $10 a month because no one else can afford to pay for a billboard, you should get it. And so it's, you know, everything for the right price. And this is not a PSA to do this, but this is an article I'm referencing. They were talking about, I don't have, they don't have access to this article. I was reading an article saying, hey, millennials are reading their news more. And it was just talking about how they're actually tend to they're open getting their, old. <laughs> they're getting old. Yeah, exactly. But it was just, you know, we almost don't get things in our mail anymore. So it was kind of like, oh, yeah. these are actually, but a house is different than 10% off of Wayfair. So be aware of what, how you're yep. targeting. So. Yeah. Uh, one of the points in the article is that small businesses might be more resilient spenders, which again, I think small businesses are the least likely to be doing radio and television at scale than a, uh, Tide detergent, you know, I, I guess you could qualify like local car dealerships as small businesses, but I mean, they, they're still getting money from the manufacturers often too, to help that. So I just don't know that. And, and then there's this chart here, um, ad spending and, and digital ad spending growth as a percentage of it just keeps getting higher. In fact, um, it talks about a projected growth of 876 million dollars in four years time, or sorry, it's going to reach 876 billion from 521 billion in 2021. So they think by 2026, we're going to be nearing a trillion dollars in digital ad spend. And so I think all that is going to continue, which leads us to an article that the ad doctor uh, dropped in the Slack channel from insider businessinsider.com. Nearly half of Gen Z is using TikTok and Instagram for search instead of Google, according to Google's own data. So they talk about how they're using it to find restaurants, to find things that's going on. And mm -hmm. I, I thought that was interesting because Google talked about how TikTok is basically rewiring their brains on how to search and TikTok uh, and Google is trying to absorb their search, their, the new ways that they search and apply it to their own website. And so I haven't seen any Google roll out anything significantly new regarding that, but I'm sure they're going to be monitoring it. And, and it's talking about Gen Z specifically, and the oldest Gen Z is 25. And so those buyers, the potential, you know, they're- They're not reading their news yet? They're not reading their news yet. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of how deep they are in the house, Samantha, are you reading your news? I'm reading my news. Really? Where, <laughs> right do, where do you yeah. get your news from? You're the closest uh, one here to, to what, what this article is talking about. Uh, 
I have uh, an email subscription that I get daily news from. And then if I, sometimes I just go to other news websites. I like to look at BBC a lot. I don't really like to look at uh, the United States. Okay, but States if you were, if you were going to go to a nice, a nice dinner out. <laughs> where would I in, go in to Denver, look for? Where, what would you pull up to do a search for that? Um, what have I used in the past? I've used um, Open Table. Uh-huh. And there's another restaurant app or website that I've used as well. I forget the name Yelp. of it though. Not Yelp. What is the name of it? Well, my, I can't remember. Uh, this might not surprise anyone. I'm going to be a contrarian here, and I'm going to say that the the data here, because I again I don't trust anything that TikTok says. Now this is Google talking about TikTok, mm-hmm. but I'm not certain that these aren't additive searches or preliminary searches, meaning you might, as a Gen Z, do a search on TikTok to see if there's content related to a local restaurant uh, to get an idea. But are you getting directions from TikTok to that local restaurant? Maybe you click the link in the bio and go to it, but I think equally as likely is you're doing research for a couple minutes and then you pull up another app or pull up a web browser and go directly to, or, or do a search. So it might lead to more branded searches than unbranded searches. But I have a hard time believing that, um, like, like if Andrew were here, and I think he's watching live in the Facebook group. You can comment, Andrew. He'd be using the word intent. Like TikTok is is helping to make sure that the intent for that thing builds and grows, the the, the interest in it. But then ultimately, it's going to lead to either. A, a specific app like an open table or a web search being done. So I, I think like what the article does talk about is web is searching overall increasing in volume. I don't know how you'd know that. I feel like if anyone did, Google would. But just because the search isn't happening on Google doesn't mean Google's losing searches if there's just a whole bunch more searches being done on other platforms. Still interesting. And again, I uh, running ads on TikTok is different than creating dances on TikTok. All right, moving on. Well, well, yeah. Uh, do you convert now? Has a TikTok? I'm just kidding. So. Right. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, I'm just kidding. We're not doing any okay. dance moves to, to promote ourselves. So, coming up from Digital Information World, Meta alerts users about its Facebook Premier Video viewing option being deprecated. It's going away yes. now. The first thing is it is going away. That means you can't make a pre-recorded video look like it's a real video or a live video. Uh, have the premiere functionality that gives you live video-like functionality on a pre-recorded video. Um, some of our builders have used that very successfully, and you'll hear about that at the summit, in addition to truly live video. But it's not it's not like you can't do it at all. You're just going to have to use a service like uh, a Restream or an OBS studio and work around it. It's just, they're not going to let you hit the easy button and upload it to Facebook directly and make it act like a, like a live video using the yeah. feature. I think the disappointing feature of this is that, you know, even for this, you know, it's like events coming at this time that it seems like detail is, is going away and you just have to up, almost upload them. If you are uploading them as a post that they just show up. And so I feel like it's just a change and I know it goes away. There's little time. It's Monday, August 22nd that it goes away. So I think you have time to, if anyone, any builders are using this program um, to find a solution or reach out to us and we can show you how to run it through Restream. There you go. 
How much do people not trust Facebook? <laughs> they don't trust Facebook so much that according to the verge.com meta quest headsets, the virtual mm -hmm. reality headsets will finally stop requiring you to have a Facebook account to use them. So the Oculus two, I believe is when they started requiring you to have a Facebook account to basically do anything other than turn the unit on. And that caused a lot of people to use other VR headsets because they didn't want to have a Facebook account. And, and so instead you're just going to require a separate, uh, account, a meta account. Meta account. <laughs> so you don't have to be on Facebook, but Facebook's parent company is still going to know everything about what you do and look at and interact with in the virtual space on their hardware. They, they talk about a real problem there being just constantly locked out of your VR set. And I don't know about anyone else, but we were talking about it probably once a day in the last two weeks. It's mm -hmm. just been like verification code, text, text. Are you alive? What's going on? And so I could yeah. see the frustration of someone trying to use their VR set being like, I, this is just getting out of hand. So, um, yeah, I, I obviously... Meta is trying to disassociate itself with Facebook more so and, and not lean on that relationship as much. So an interesting thing here too, is you can create multiple meta accounts versus, mm -hmm. you know, so the other thing is if you're in a family and you're sharing that headset with your children, part of that problem is, you know, Facebook has a strict rule of only one public identity account. Like you're not allowed to have multiple accounts on Facebook that are an individual or representing an individual like you might be encouraged to do on a platform like Twitter or Instagram. And so now this lets you get multiple accounts on, on the same, almost like different Netflix profiles with the same mm -hmm. account. And so that also will help. Also, incidentally, I'm just curious who here owns a VR headset, not a, not a cardboard that you just take a phone in Samantha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How, I, long, I how long have you had one? Uh, a couple of years now, but we, it was a, my cousin gave it to us because she mm. got a new oh, one. Okay. And then so we haven't then the follow-up question lot. is, do you use it? No, we used it. We installed it when we got it and played around with our favorite thing was actually, uh, uh, Google earth mm -hmm. was like our oh, favorite yeah. thing to use on it. Uh, set it up, played with it. Haven't set it up in our new house or since we moved to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. My kids love it. They ask all the time to play Beat Saber, but I have I want to play Beat Saber. <laughs> very little interest in putting that thing on for long periods of time. And so it's going to take, and, that, and that, this continues to be why everyone's predicting AR is going to be the first step before true VR. I was also on a really interesting private event call with a bunch of investment bankers and uh, commercial real estate investors around the metaverse and Web3 and all that. And I'll share those ideas uh, in another episode because we're running low on time, but really fascinating what, how much people who are spending and investing millions of dollars in this space, they're like, well, won't the metaverse just be a duplicate copy of the real world? Like, me meaning like you're going to have to have brokers and you're going to have renters of virtual space. And I was like, if, if we're recreating everything the same way with the same intermediary parties and everything, or we're just going to make it like 10% cheaper to do a transaction than the old fashioned way. This whole thing is not worth the effort. So it. Yeah. Something else you want to say about that? <laughs> it just, it's the same reason I don't like watching like the, sorry, everyone Kardashians or things. I just don't like watching other people live their lives. And I don't want to put on glasses and fake live my own life. Like if I'm playing VR, like I want to go to this 
I want to have a safari. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the games. Like I want something different or like, you know, the web space, like let's dive into that. Let's learn about. So, so I, I could see it actually being really successful. Same with the Apple computers. Like if they somehow integrate that into schools and it becomes like an educational tool, but I, I feel like it's, I don't want to say it's losing its steam for me, but I feel like it's been talked about for so long and I'm still waiting for that thing that it's going to do for me. That's exciting. So I don't know. And then maybe that's why you put it away. You're like, well, okay, that was enough. Really yeah. fine. But yeah. anyway, the marketing should be interesting selling homes, what you sell and, uh, and, and what are they called? NTFs? Yeah, NFTs. NFTs. Yeah. I'm bad at this. Uh, yeah. Those will go away. So we're seeing that. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you on the on the watching other people live their live their life part. Mm-hmm. Um, however, here's the question: Are we in the metaverse right now? I think we are. I think Zoom and Slack mm. and the people watching the Facebook group, like we're all. And so, part of me is. Like, I agree with your sentiment. I don't want, like, like that's why I don't want my kids to just watch YouTube is most of the content on YouTube that kids want to watch is just sawdust. Even Saturday morning cartoons generally are trying to teach some moral, like, you know, the, there's some lesson to, to be learned, even a small, small lesson. Whereas most YouTube is like, watch me eat this giant gummy bear and almost die. Nothing to be learned other than don't stick an entire 20 pound gummy bear in your mouth at once. Um, I, I think there's a lot of relationships that I've built that are completely based upon my interaction with them in zoom mm-hmm. and on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And so there's still, I think there's something there about staying connected and, and consuming what you want to, but it doesn't, it doesn't replace anything in the physical world either. It's just an extension of the physical world, which is why I I think we're kind of already in the metaverse. All right. Last one from the news from CNBC.com. Elon Musk notifies Twitter. He is terminating his deal and let the conspiracy theories begin. Was he ever really going to buy it? Did he just want cover to sell his shares of Tesla, which previously said he wasn't really going to sell? What do we think? Do we care? That's a great question. (laughs) I don't see any, in terms of marketing homes and usability of Twitter, I don't see anyone doing it incredibly successfully. And I don't see significant changes coming to Twitter or project, you know, from Elon from this, but I'm on the little conspiracy theory for that. So we'll, we'll see how, what, what does end up happening. I knew I actually pulled an article from one of the old ones. It was like you, Andrew and Jesse were talking about him buying it. And we were like, yeah, it's not going to go through. And so it's funny to see it happen in real time. What do you think, Sam? I don't know. I don't use Twitter, so I'm not, I don't, not familiar with it a whole lot, but it has been interesting to watch all of this go down and how the data is just not, they're not delivering the data to him to make an educated decision on whether to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now, now they're even, you know, disparaging. So there's all kinds of issues. Uh, You know, a judge could end up saying, you have to pay the difference between what you promised to buy it for and what the current value is. So you're going to have to pay $15 billion for nothing, or you have to go pay, I think it was 45, $44 billion for Twitter, but he says he doesn't want it anymore. So, you know, is that the best interest of the shareholders 
uh, well, I guess he'd buy them out. So yes, it would still be, but the, the users or the company itself to say you now are owned by someone who doesn't want you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, as someone who's grown to love Twitter, I would be sad if it was if it was irreparably damaged. But we'll see. I, I don't feel bad for Elon. I'll say that. No, he's doing just fine. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll get over it. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. One quick note: we do have two. Uh, additional opportunities to get live and in person with the Do You Convert team outside of the summits. We've got uh, the Market Proof Marketing Academy live in mm-hmm. Tampa uh, in November. And then we have the Online Sales Academy happening when, Jackie? That's a great question. October 13th and 14th. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was right. I'm looking right at a calendar. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Links in the show notes to that as well. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Marketproof Marketing is proudly supported by Opendoor. Visit opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn how you can partner with Opendoor to increase certainty, speed, and ease for your home buyers. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peak, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. View hundreds of articles, videos, and more for free at doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on social networks or in real life. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof.